This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day. Good one coming up today. Corliss Williamson, Timberwolves assistant coach, longtime NBA player, won a championship with Detroit back in 2004. And you might recall also a tremendous college basketball player won an NCAA title with Arkansas almost 30 years ago. A winner for all of his career and now brings his coaching talent to the Timberwolves. He will join me in a little bit to talk about his kind of his journey, the evolution of basketball, especially as a big man. He never shot a three-pointer, I don't believe, or never made a three-pointer in his entire career in the NBA. But now a modern big man must take that into consideration as part of his game. Uh, Corliss Williamson and I will get into all that and more in a little while here. Uh, I've got some uh, twins thoughts in a little bit, some uh, some fun Saints news at the end of the show, a little bit of uh, Minnesota United and Lynx as well. First, though, what did I miss? I wrote about this, I think it was yesterday, Tuesday, uh, on StarTribune.com and in the newspaper, I think it's in the newspaper today, just about how the, the inaccuracy of the math and the geography <clears throat> of major college conferences now is really starting to it's start, I don't know if it's bothering me it's just becoming absurd because it's been like this for a while now but it's the, the the pace of conference realignment has totally obliterated any notion of honesty in the math and the geography of any of these conferences and what I mean by that is listen the Big Ten once the dust settles now that they've added uh, Washington and Oregon already to this mix that already included UCLA and USC. By t- by you know a year from now they're going to have 18 teams in the Big Ten. That's called the Big Ten. Big Ten. Now obviously this league has not had just 10 teams in over 30 years, right? They added Penn State in the early 1990s that gave them 11. They messed around with the logo a little bit to make it look like 11. You don't just want to change the brand because you add maybe one more team. I get it. And it was, it was just the old, it was just, just those 11 teams in the Big Ten for like 20 years. And that was, that was fine. We kind of got used to it. We were like, ah, it's kind of a joke. The, the Big Ten has 11 teams, but we'll get over it. Then they added Nebraska and it's fine. Now they have 12 teams. Okay. But you can't really call yourself the Big 12 because there's already a Big 12, although that Big 12 now soon will have 16 teams. But at the time, they, I think the Big 12 still had 12 teams. They were kind of an honest an honest total of the number of teams they had. Then the Big 10 added uh, Rutgers and Maryland. That was, you know, several years ago, but after Nebraska, obviously. So now they had 14. But at that point, it was pretty clear that they weren't done, right? That this college realignment, this expansion, fueled so much by TV uh, TV contracts, big TV markets. You know, Rutgers gives them the the New York TV market. Maryland gave them the DC area, kind of the Baltimore DC area. Um, and then now this expansion again, which certainly again is fueled by the TV money, this absurd money from Fox, Big Ten Network, all the money pouring in from that. They add the two Los Angeles schools, USC and UCLA, and then recently add uh, Oregon and Washington. Washington obviously giving them the uh, the Seattle market. And, you know, those teams are, are decent fits in terms of the kinds of schools, but these, these are now, this is now coast to coast, and now there's now 18 teams in the Big Ten. There's no intellectual honesty to calling a conference the Big Ten when there are nearly twice as many teams. Now, like I said, 
The Big 12 now has 16 teams, or will, once all of the dust settles on this, the two Arizona schools, Utah and Colorado, all defecting from the Pac-12 to the Big 12, and now the Big 12 having 16, and the Pac-12 having four Four teams, although that probably will dissolve here sooner rather than later, and there won't be a worry about that. But it sounds like, and this is just preliminary, this is the worst of all, it sounds like two of the Pac-12 teams, quote quote marks around Pac-12, sounds like two of those teams, um, Stanford and Cal, which are located in the Bay Area, and the Bay Area is in the Pacific Bay Area. Those two, you know, out in the you know San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland area. Both of those schools sounds like they could be headed to the ACC. Do you know what ACC stands for? It stands for Atlantic Coast Conference. Atlantic Coast Conference, all the way on the complete other side of the United States, the other coast, the different ocean. Those two teams could be joining, those two schools could be joining a conference completely on the other side of the country named after a different ocean. So what are we doing here? I mean, I know all pretenses of, you know, geographical boundaries or any kind of geographical sense of this kind of went out the window a long time ago when when schools started shifting around when the Big Ten, like I said, had already added USC, UCLA, had already added Rutgers and Maryland. Used to be the Big Ten was kind of a Midwest kind of conference. Used to be the Big 12 was kind of like that, that, you know, kind of below the, you know, below geographically the the Big Ten, but kind of in the same stratosphere. Um, The Pac-12 or Pac-10 before that made sense. It was out, it was out, it was out West. Um, the SEC, which is still really the only honest conference now, they've made no promises about how many teams they have. Most of, most or all, I would say, of the SEC is either South or East or both, and they've they they have 14 schools. All of them fit to a certain degree. I think the SEC is doing fine now. The Big East, which was you know disbanded more or less and, and realigned and, and reimagined. They've got teams that they got Creighton in Nebraska. That Nebraska is not East. Like none of this has made sense for a while, but it's only getting worse. And the honesty in all of this, the 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 reasoning behind all of this, it's just I don't know. It, it doesn't matter all that much, I guess, if you can kind of talk yourself into it. But it does matter. Words matter. Math matters. Geography matters. Like at least, it, at least it did when I was in school way back in the day. At least these things mattered uh, when, when I was growing up. That these things were taken into consideration. Were still a factor, even if flights are easier now. Even if it doesn't matter all that much, if you have to fly three hours to get someplace instead of an hour and a half. Yes, there's some wear and tear on the student athletes. I'm not one of them, but I think that's important. But you know, it's just the, it's the dishonesty in all this. It's the it's the calling something a thing that it's not that really is starting to bother me in an 18-team league and a four-team league and a 16-team league that are not properly named and a coast that could have a team from another coast. That's a problem for me too. So I don't know. I don't know where this is all headed. I think we're probably just headed for four or three or four super conferences maybe by the time the dust settles on all of this. I don't love it. It's kind of the reality, but I don't like how it impacts um, how it impacts the way we name things and the way what we call things and just it's 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 dishonest. It just does not feel right to me. Okay, I don't know if that qualifies as a rant, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get off my soapbox now and talk about some sports that happen <clears throat> on uh, on Tuesday night. Some good results for Minnesota. One bad one. We'll get to that in a minute. Lynx win, good win for them. Beat Chicago. Important for them to stay kind of clear of 
the worst teams in the WNBA. They're still firmly in playoff position. Beat Chicago, which had been red hot, which is a team similar to them in the standing. So good win for the Lynx. Really good game for Nafisa Collier. Again, that team has been very good, very steady since that 0-6 start. So that means they you know 0-6 start, 14 and 15 overall. That means they're 14 and 9 since that start. Could be a team that I don't think is competitive with the very best in the WNBA, although they did beat some of those very best teams not that long ago. I don't I don't like them in a long series with some of those very best teams, but could be a team that doesn't just get in the playoffs, could be a team that wins a playoff game or two. We will see about that. Team that is advancing, albeit in this kind of midseason Leagues Cup tournament, Minnesota United advances on penalty kicks again, um, beating Toluca from the La Liga MX and uh now they are in through the into the quarterfinals. Could have been an even better result. Um, an overturned goal in the match between uh, Club America of Liga MX and Nashville. Nashville ends up winning that match. Nashville will now host that quarterfinal game against the Loons. Had uh, had uh, Club America advanced, the Loons would have hosted that match, uh, that quarterfinal match. But instead, that will be in Nashville. But still. They are through to the quarterfinals of this uh, of this new tournament and, and excited to be there. They, they squandered a 2-0 lead, maybe had some bad luck. They were up 2-1 fairly late when uh, Hassani Dotson got sent off for his second yellow card, so red card on that same play. Um, it was controversial. It was supposed to be a goal kick in the league, in the, in the Loon's uh estimation instead it was a corner kick that corner kick led to the play where he got the red card which also was awarded a penalty kick so a lot of things went wrong on that play um uh Toluca tied it on that ensuing uh, ensuing penalty kick, and then the Loons end up prevailing still in uh, in the shootout later on. So good win for them. They've been playing really well. Bongi gets his seventh goal of the tournament. That's it's amazing. He's tied with Lionel Messi of um, of Miami. And now a pretty good company for uh, for Bongi a long way to to be in right there. So pretty impressive run by the Loons. We'll see if they can keep it going against. Uh, against Nashville now in the next round. The Twins, meanwhile, um, not to just run down the scores, lose 6 nothing. Um, pretty unceremonious end to their losing streak, but probably just one of those one-off games where things don't go their way. Sonny Gray pitched pretty well. Of course, did not get any run support. He's barely gotten any run support all season long, but that win streak comes to an end. Cleveland beat the Blue Jays 1-0, so the lead in the AL Central down to 4.5, but still feeling pretty good about where they are relative to the rest of the division. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I am very happy to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Corliss Williamson, one of the newest Timberwolves assistant coaches. No doubt you recognize the name if you've been hanging around basketball of any kind for the last, oh, God, I don't know, Corliss, like 30 years or so? Is that about how far we got to go back to your college playing days? <laughs> that sounds about right. Back in 19, was that 92 when I started? So Yeah, yeah that's, that's a little more yeah. than 30. It doesn't make me feel any younger because I definitely remember watching you play 
in college and I wasn't, I'm not much younger than you only by a few years. So um, I appreciate having you on um, what, uh, you know, kind of getting acclimated to the, to the new role. It's only been a little while since, uh, since you joined the staff, but how, how is the, uh, how's kind of the, the phasing in process going so far? Uh, it's been going pretty slow. I mean, nothing's fast right now. Um, I had an opportunity to come in for, um, for the summer league training camp and uh, spend about five days out in Vegas, uh, watching the team play, getting acclimated with some of the coaches and, and some of the young guys. So um, it, it's been going well. It's good. And everybody remembers your, your playing days. I mean, I just maybe kind of start, let's, let's start there. I mean, you, yeah, I think you grew up in, in Arkansas, you end up going to school in Arkansas and you bring, you know, you and your teammates bring them a national championship in 94. You, you beat Duke. You've got the president of the United States behind you. I mean, what was that experience like, you know, 30 years ago, Bill Clinton, your number one fan back then? You know, that was a, that was a great experience. Um, you know, being from the state of Arkansas, a small town in Russellville and, uh, have an opportunity to represent my state and my hometown and to win a national championship. And like you said, you know, to have the president of the United States as, you know, your number one fan, you, you can't ask for a better situation. So, um, I mean, that experience was was pretty awesome. Uh, something I'll always cherish. And it was something special because, you know, like I said, being from Arkansas, you know, rarely do you have that opportunity and we took advantage of it. The styles of, of those teams were pretty distinct. What What do you remember about just – you know, Nolan Richardson is kind of the, the idea of the, the 40 minutes of hell, all that stuff. I mean, what was that? I mean, what was that like to be a part of? That was fun. You know, um, people always ask, you know, how were your practices? I know you had to run a lot, um, but and we did. You know, Coach really uh, was big on making sure we were in shape. Our preseason um, workouts were tough, but even our regular season practices were tough, but they were short. Um, so I just remember the intensity that we had to bring every day in practice for the style of play that we wanted to create on the floor. And that was, uh, creating havoc and pressure defense and pushing the basketball offensively. And that was just a, a fun time in Arkansas basketball. They're getting back to that now, but, uh, back then it was really a lot of fun being in the state of Arkansas. I was going to say, has it been fun to kind of watch the, you know, the resurgence of the program lately? Yes, it has been, you know, um, you know, we've been through several coaches up there, uh, some good coaches, some great coaches. Uh, sometimes it just didn't work out. But uh, Mus really has the team rolling right now. Uh, you know, the state's really behind them. Us as alumni, we, we're enjoying the, the product that's out there on the court. and We're looking forward to every year being in that tournament, having an opportunity to uh, to advance. And obviously the Minnesota connection there, because Mus's dad coached the Coach the Wolves for uh, back in the day, back in the back in the very beginning of the of their inception. He was that was their uh, there was their head coach. And he also coached the Gophers of coach, uh, of course, way way back in the day as uh, as well. Um, just kind of thinking about your your career arc. You make you know make a long NBA career. You've got you know some starting experience. You win sixth man of the year at one point, I think, in you know two thousand one, two thousand two, somewhere in there. You win a championship with the Pistons kind of later on in your career. Um, so what was it like kind of carving out, finding your identity, kind of carving out what you were going to be in the NBA and even having that evolve as time went on? You know, that's that's something that, you know, any player that comes into this league uh, has to figure out at some point, you know, what's going to, what are you going to be as a player and what's going to help you stick and what's going to keep you a job? 
you know, in this league. And for me, um, playing in Sacramento, I went from being sometimes a point forward, power forward. I played several positions um, early in my career until I finally found my niche when I was traded to Detroit. Um, and that, that progress and, and that journey, you know, it's hard work, but it, it's, it paid off in the end. Um, you know, by winning a, a championship in 2004 with uh, one of the best defensive teams I'd ever been a part of with the Pistons. I'm looking at your career stats. I, did you? I don't know that you ever really shot or even made a three pointer in your entire <laughs> career. Now, just how the big man has evolved. Like, could you? Could you have survived now without even without shooting the three? You know, um, I think I could have survived. I mean, because I, I think I'm a basketball player. Yeah, so you know, as a basketball right. player, you're going to figure out what it takes to get on the court. But back then, you know, the three-point shot wasn't as prevalent as it is now. So uh, if you were to put me in this generation, then I think early in my career, I would have really worked on developing some type of shot from the perimeter uh, as far as the three-point line goes. Um, but, you know, and no disrespect to when Draymond Green doesn't shoot a lot of threes either. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You, so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what what do you think of that evolution though? Kind of joking aside, like just how you know the, what's expected of a modern big man. We get into Carl Anthony Towns here in a minute, but and that's just part of his game. He's not asked to do something he's not already gifted at. But you know, just there's this expectation that kind of one through five almost on the court, with some exceptions, maybe Rudy Gobert be an exception. Like you need to be able to step out and hit. You know, if not the mid range, which has fallen out of favor and come back in a little bit of favor in recent years. Um, you you got to have some range, and, and it's expected that you know some threes, your threes and your fours are going to be shooting threats in a lot of cases. Oh yes, yeah, I, I like the fact that it's changed. Um, I mean, I do miss the post up game a lot. I think we at some point, hopefully, will circle back to that. It was fun to watch, but you know, I play with guys like um, Chris Weber, Vladi Diva, um, Rasheed Wallace, guys who were had height, Brad Miller. Uh, who can step out and also knock down the three-point shot. So, you know, I kind of saw that evolution early on. Um, but now, like you said, it's it's league-wide. You know, if you're going to play in this league, you're going to have to be able to make that shot. And that just says a lot about our game, how much is, it's grown, how much it's expanded. Um, you know, each position is, is different now. And, you know, you, you've heard, always heard the term positionless basketball. Right. Um, but it makes it makes the game, to me – it gives the game beauty. You know, you watch the um, the European players back when I was playing, you would see more of them stepping out, shooting, spreading the floor, passing, handling the basketball. Now it's it's in our game here in the United States, and it's it's fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. It, I think the evolution has been interesting to watch. And just, you're right, some of that positionless basketball, you've got to be able to, you've got those guys like Jaden McDaniels on, on your roster who can guard so many different positions, who can, switch you've got that kind of switching capability and you got to have that kind of out of your out of your wings nowadays it feels like it moves fast when you're going to play a style like that is it as you think stylistically about the evolution what else jumps out at you between kind of what you played and then what you've now coached for several years yeah so when you think about when i play i, I talked about the team in detroit uh we were a defensive team we could run fast but we could also slow it down but we look at I think we had a record there for a while. I think we had opponents under 85 points, I think, for a certain number of games. 
and you look at the scores now, you know, 85 points, you score 85 points now, you know, you're looking around like, what's going on? Yeah, so, be, um, you'd be happy to hold someone to 85 and three quarters now. <laughs> right. But um, just to see the pace of the game now, I think it's uh, it's it's fan-friendly. It's uh, player-friendly. I mean, it's a game that you can enjoy. And, and, you know, of course, someone like me, I may look at it like, hey, no one's playing defense. But there's defense being played. And the game has just evolved and, and the points are higher now. Yeah. No, I mean, that's – Kind of how it, kind of how it is here uh, with, with the Timberwolves. Maybe we can kind of talk a little bit of of Wolves here too. Obviously, and you just getting just getting your feet wet. But I'm sure you've you've kind of gotten into this a little bit. And maybe we can think about Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. That that was the experiment last year, and we didn't get a full sample of it, of course, because Carl got hurt and was out for so much at that time. Um, well, what do you, you know, as you know, at that point you were kind of on the outside looking in, you weren't, that you weren't an assistant coach. What did you think about the idea of putting those guys together in the beginning and now having a chance to, you know, ostensibly work with those two guys and try to get the most out of whatever that pairing can produce? Yeah. You know, I was like everyone else, you know, just from the outside looking in, you know, how's this going to work? You know, um, how are they going to figure out how to play both of those guys on the court at the same time? But. Um, just having an opportunity to to watch just you know a tiny sample of film and yeah. uh, and talking to, and talking to Finch, um, I'm I'm excited about about the opportunity to watch these two guys really work together, especially when you have a full training camp. And hopefully, you know, knock on wood and pray to God everyone stays healthy, um, just to see what what can happen. You know, because I think we have. I like our roster. I like our bigs. I just, I'm, I'm just excited to see what's going to happen. How important is the the full camp? Because I think we kind of glossed over that at, at some points last year when, you know, Carl was sick for a while. He he lost a lot of weight, and you know, Rudy was still kind of getting back after playing all those you know, playing a lot internationally. His knee was was sore. They just didn't have a lot of time to necessarily gel. And we were like, ah, but you know, do you really need that? These guys are veterans. Like how, how much is that really a factor in, you know, in when, when two guys haven't played together? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a big factor. Um, you factor in a training camp where you get to work out some of the Kings coaches, get a chance to experiment with the lineups and, and see how we're going to make this fit. Um, so I, I think not having that completely last year, um, may have hindered uh, the growth for them as a, as a unit. But now you think about it, we've had a full season and we're going to have another training camp. And that's going to really give us an opportunity to uh, to see what these guys can do together. And, and I'm excited. I mean, I'm really intrigued about um, the possibilities. As you think about the possibilities, and again, you like you said, you've, you've not watched a ton of film yet, so I'm not going to put you on the spot, but like what, what <laughs> intrigues you specifically about how how their strengths might fit together? I mean, just their length. Um, I think defensively, I think that's something that um, we could really be better at and, and we're going to be better at uh, with those two on the floor. And then, you know, on the offensive end of the court, just when those guys are able to figure out how to play together better, um, it, it's, you know, it's going to be nice. Okay. Okay. It sounds, sounds like you got some confidence yeah, there. Yeah. You don't want to give away all the state yeah. secrets, but it sounds like – <laughs> Chris Chris Finch has sounded like he's he's optimistic about this too, and you know to a certain degree you you, you have to say that right now because you want to make this work. But you know there's certainly there's certainly room. There's a higher ceiling to get to than than what this team got to last year because I think 
you know, a lot of it, a lot of us probably labeled last year a disappointment to a large degree because you looked at all the talent on paper and you said 50 win team. This is, you know, this is a team that could compete for a top four seed in the West and that just didn't happen. So now the, now the, the obstacle is, well, how do you, how do you get there? And that pairing is part of it. And I, you know, I would dare say that even more from Anthony Edwards is, is a piece of that too, as as you've observed him and now we'll have a chance to see him even closer here. What, what, what's your impression of, uh, of Anthony Edwards? I mean, he's amazing. Um, just from what I've seen on television uh, and talking to people on our staff, talking to friends and colleagues around the league, you know, everyone is very high on Anthony Edwards, not only on the court, but just as a person as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to observing, being there, trying to coach, help in whatever capacity I can. But um, to have a special talent like that paired with the other guys that we have on our roster, you know, we should have an opportunity to be um, one of the better teams in the uh, in the Western Conference. And, of course, that all goes with, you know, chemistry, uh, staying healthy, all those things come into factor. So uh, we'll see what we can do. A couple more things for you, Corliss Williamson, enjoying this conversation. Of course, a longtime NBA and college star and a now Timberwolves assistant coach. Uh, Corliss, as you kind of think about uh, as you think about this season ahead and you kind of think about your, you know, kind of your role as, as an assistant coach, you've been at different places. How do you, how do you kind of have your idea stand out versus also kind of blending into what, you know, what the head coach and other people around want out of these systems and kind of like, you know, when you're, when you're a new coach, how does that voice come out for you? Um, you know, it does. sometimes it takes a, a little bit of time to find your voice in a new system. Um, because first thing you have to do is is understand what the coach wants, um, his system, his terminology. Uh, once you figure that out, then you, I mean, you have to be yourself. So, and that's that's what all, all I've done in every position and opportunity I've had to coach has just been myself, and and that's to bring my work ethic and and you know my experiences as a former player to try to help these guys in any way that I can, and uh, you know. Like they say, uh, get in where you fit in. That's that's kind of my motto. <laughs> will, will they give you like they give you specific tasks? I mean, as a big man, will you work more with the bigs? How how, how do you suppose the how does how will the division of labor work? I mean, in the past, I've always worked with the bigger guys. Um, I'm sure I'll be working with Carl uh, Anthony Towns and probably some of the other guys as well. Um, as far as my role and what I'm doing on the team, um, when we get to our coaches' meetings, we'll start to figure out. You know, who's responsible for what areas? Um, you know, I'm always doing scouting reports. I've done that up my whole career. So I'm just excited to uh, to get started and, and figure out what my role is going to be and then, you know, try to be the best I can be in it. What do you enjoy about the process of coaching? I mean, you were a longtime player. Did you know you wanted to do that when your playing career was over? I did. You know, uh, towards the end of my career, um, I used to go sit in front of the paint playing with Pete Carrill uh, when I was in Sacramento and, um, you know, just try to soak up as much knowledge as I could about um, the coaching profession. Uh, even some of the other coaches that I played for, I'd always ask them questions. And uh, I studied the game. I read books. I bought videos because I knew this is what I wanted to do once I retired. And uh, for me, I still get to be competitive in this game that I love. I still get to be around it. And like I said earlier, I get to share my experiences 
um, with these young men and to try to help them not only on the court, but off the court. And I think that's kind of the college coach for me is where I got my start. Yeah. I try to help them off the court as much as possible. Well, sounds like a good a good reason to get into it and a good reason to stay in it. Um, final thing, do you still keep in touch at all with Bill Clinton? Because I know he was a big fan like 30 years ago. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I can't say that I have his number in my phone. <laughs> That's all right. Well, a friend of mine said, tell Corliss that that Arkansas team helped him win his NCAA tournament pool back in 1994. And thank you so much for that. So I guess you, you, you're still getting kudos 30 years, 29 years later for, uh, for everything you did. And I'm sure anytime you go back to Arkansas, you, uh, you, you, uh, you get a hero's welcome too, I would think. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's home for him. That's home base. And, you know, we're always, um, they're always celebrating our team and, and they're happy uh, about the championship and, you know, it is hey, it's always a razorback. Yeah, absolutely. Corliss, appreciate the time. I'm sure we'll be in touch down the road and uh, enjoy the rest of the off season and the season as well. All right, thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Corliss Williamson. This is a really impressive NBA career when I kind of dug into it and, and looked at it uh, over over time. Obviously, a great college player. Um, you know, spent a lot of time in the league, had a lot of different teams. Um, he was a, he was a very high pick, 13th overall in the 1995 NBA draft. Um, you know, so a lottery pick back then, but, uh, you know, stuck around in the league for 14 seasons. Um, you know, 822 career games, a lot of different iterations of his career. Um, like he said, point forward, things like that. It's just a lot different now when you think about, some of the big men he'll be coaching with the Wolves, including Carl Anthony Towns, maybe some Rudy Gobert uh, coaching in there. Um, you know, he said he was playing like power forward and small forward, something like that. And I was kind of like a Jaden McDaniels or a Kyle Anderson type guys who, um, you know, much less, uh, much less post up guys, more guys that can defend a lot. Um, Kyle Anderson, kind of that point forward for them sometimes. So maybe a little overlap in their games, but just interesting to think about how things have changed since Corliss Williamson carved out a really nice NBA career and you know winning a college college NCAA title and an NBA title in your career that is nothing to uh, nothing to sneeze about you you know and so that's that's pretty impressive to think about as well I think those were 10 years apart so good for Corliss I'll be interested to see kind of his impact on the Wolves this season let's finish with the cooler Daryl Strawberry having his number retired by the Saints this weekend Patrick Royce caught up with Daryl recently you can find that column, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Just really fascinating to remember the the, the summer that, that the partial summer that, that Strawberry spent with the Saints back in nineteen ninety-six, trying to get his career back in order. Only played uh just a handful of games, was it uh, thirty-nine games, hit eighteen home runs in one hundred and eight at bats for the Saints. Um that, that's just amazing. It's just a it's just a I was twenty-nine games he played here. Twenty-nine games, I'm sorry in 1996 so that's you know you think about that it's like should a guy get his jersey retired as they are for him after 29 games yeah that's the impact that he had so long ago and 18 home runs and 108 at bats that is ridiculous that's like one every six at bats so what an impact he had cool conversation he had with Patrick Royce you can find out more about what Daryl Strawberry is up to these days in that piece so go check that out Star Tribune and StarTribune.com Good one coming up on Thursday. Expecting to invite in my friend Chickenfinger69 to yell at me about Johnny Menzel. New Johnny Menzel documentary out on Netflix. I was a huge proponent of the Vikings drafting Johnny Menzel almost 10 years ago, 2014. I was very wrong about that. 
It might have been one of my worst sports opinions of all time. So Chicken Finger 69 will be there on Thursday's show to yell at me and tell me just how wrong I was. And let's revisit that 2014 draft and how everything unfolded from there for the Vikings and for Johnny Manziel. That'll do it for me today. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.